0: You have your Bible apps open. You can follow along as I read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Word meaning Jesus. Word, the translation of logos, the Greek for word. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And verse 14, the word became flesh and bones, as you heard earlier. And made his dwelling among us, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of God for all of us today. Thanks be to God. If you're new to us, or maybe it's been a little while since you've attended HRBC, We've been in a series of messages this fall entitled, Misconceptions of God, and we've been looking at some of the distorted ways that people view God. Often this might be because of negative experiences that people have perhaps had with the church or with uh, Christians over the years, or sometimes it's because of questions that they can't reconcile, uh, things that happen bad things often that happen to good people, innocent people, and sometimes good things that happen to bad people. And we struggle with this image of God, sometimes just because of a lack of understanding. Perhaps a person has not been exposed to the truths of Christianity or has not been in the church much. And so these uh, pictures of God come from a lack of understanding. One of the most common misunderstandings about God that we have and that we're dealing with today is that which says that we have to do something in order to obtain the favor of God, perhaps through worship or sacrifice or right living or all of the above. Um, We often will sense that God is distant, this misconception that God is distant and out of touch, with humanity, and that finding God is up to us. Other religions, such as Buddhism and Hinduism, believe this, that in order for you to reach God, that you have to live your life properly, follow the right precepts, offer the right sacrifices, and then God will reward you with a blessing. Finding God, they say, is largely up to the person, The problem that we have with this, however, is that it believes that the person is ultimately in control, assuming that God loves you, but it's only conditional if you can work your way up to God. The people of Israel saw this all around them back in the days before Jesus. They would be journeying often to Jerusalem, and they would look up at the hills, and at the hilltops were pagan shrines where people worshipped the gods of Baal. Psalm 121 has this in the context as we read these words, as as we seek to further unpack this um, understanding that many people have. Long before Christ, they were surrounded by paganism. And the psalmist affirms in Psalm 121, the one true God of Israel who gave help and hope to the people as they journeyed. Psalm 121 from the King James is what you'll hear in just a moment. I love this passage uh, for a number of reasons, one of which it was my grandmother McDaniel's favorite scripture, my mother's mom, who's with the Lord. Listen to the King James version of Psalm 121. I will lift mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper, the Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message version of the Bible, pastor, and writer, Tells us this with Psalm 121 in mind. During the time this psalm was written and sung, Palestine was overrun with popular pagan worship. Much of this religion was practiced on hilltops. Shrines were set up, groves of trees were planted, persons were lured to shrines to engage in acts of worship that would supposedly enhance the fertility of the land, make persons feel good, and protect them from evil. There were nostrums, protections, spells, and enhancements against all the perils of the road. This is the kind of thing that the Hebrews would have seen on the hills as they set out on a journey. But the person of faith would say, Help! Does my strength come from these mountains or hills? No, my strength comes from God who made heaven and earth and those mountains. A look to the hills brings disappointment. We, however, look at the one who made the hills, who made the heavens, who made the earths, who made the mountains. Our help comes from the Creator, not from the creation. The Creator is always awake. He will never doze nor sleep. Baal took long naps, and one of the jobs of the Baal priests was to wake him up. Our creator God is always awake. He is the Lord over time. He is with you and me when we set out and when we return. Jesus gives us a picture of God that is different from any other religion. A God who is not asleep. A God who does not have to be awakened A God who does not have to have someone controlling him. Jesus helps us to see a God who loved us so much that he came as a man and dwelt among us. God in the flesh. God as a human being with skin and bones. Matthew writes of the birth of Jesus, fulfilling what had been foretold by the prophets long ago. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. The incarnate God. God in human form. To understand the depth of the human condition. Jesus later said in John 8:19: 9, If you knew me, you would know my father also. And in John 10:30, I and the Father are one. And then in our main passage today, in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I love what, how uh, Eugene Peterson writes this in the message version. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God with us. This is one of the great reversals that we see in the Gospels. Jesus takes the the things that people would normally assume and flips them upside down and surprises us. God came down. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Sometimes we struggle with trying to explain this to others. Sometimes we struggle understanding it ourselves. And one of the great pictures that has helped me over the years is a simple ladder. Bill Hybels is the pastor of the Willow Creek Church out uh, in Chicago, Illinois. And he'll just take a piece of paper, maybe it's an easel board or even a napkin in a restaurant, And in talking with somebody over, a cup of coffee perhaps, will help them to to see this understanding of God who loved us so much that he came to earth to identify with us and to communicate his love to us. And he says, Bill does, with uh, the latter, uh, write the words uh, God up at the top. So write, write the word. And then he will say, now you're probably familiar with Mother Teresa. Where, where do you think she would be on the ladder to God? If God is perfection, if that's God's standard, and God is here, where would Mother Teresa be? And the average person would per, put her, you know, at least three-quarters of the way up. Most all the time, says Bill Hybels. And then he would say, uh, do, do you know Billy Graham? Oh, sure, you know, he's one of the most well-known preachers. And he'd say, well, put Billy Graham on the ladder, and Billy Graham would be somewhere around Mother Teresa, often just a little below Mother Teresa. And then Bill would say, well, you know, as a pastor, you know, I'm, I'm just with the rest of my people, and sometimes uh, I'm middle of the road, sometimes I slip farther down the bottom of the ladder. But I'll put myself at the middle of the road. And then he would invite the person to put their name on the ladder. Where are you? And there's always a gap between where the person is and where God is. And conventional wisdom says that we have to climb the ladder to attain God's love, to attain perfection, that we have to take those steps ourselves. But the incarnation says, God climbed down to us. That God climbed down the back steps of heaven To be with us. God in the flesh. And we can say to people, we don't have to try to climb the ladder to God. Perform acts of service or certain works or religious rituals or obligations or worship or sacrifice or giving or any of that. Because God came first to us. That's how much he loved us. It's a great way that we can articulate What God did in Jesus Christ, which you heard Wendell read earlier, Jesus, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The Jesus narrative says we don't have to work our way up to God. God works his way to us. This is what we understand as the reconciling work of God. To reconcile means to bring together. How did God reconcile us to him? By his son's outstretched arms on the cross. How much did God love us? You might say this much. When my daughter was teeny weeny little, I would say, how much does Daddy love you? And she would stretch her arms out and she would say, this much. Because that's what I was always say. Daddy loves you this much. And I would stretch my arms as wide as I could. And um, people, this is, this is how much God loves us. He stretches arms out on the cross for us and willingly died a sinner's death. But it didn't end there. It didn't end there. The incarnation, yes, God becoming human willingly coming and entering into the depths of the human condition, experiencing crucifixion, death on a cruel Roman cross. But on the third day, the scriptures tell us that he rose from the grave and appeared to his followers and over a period of days appeared to many and then ascended to be with God and poured his Holy Spirit out on the believers and birthed the church that they could continue to be the hands and feet and the voice of God through the ends of the earth to reach them with his love. That's the incarnation. James Brian Smith points out in summary, God enters our world in the lowliest of conditions, lives an utterly ordinary life for 30 years, experiences everything we experience, points the world to his Father, and in his teaching and in his life, and then willingly performs the ultimate sacrifice, he gave his life for the world, for all of the world, the Lamb of God taking away the world's sin. But not everybody accepts it. Maybe you have people in your family who don't believe like you. There may have been a child or a nephew or a niece or somebody in your immediate family you've been praying for for years and years and they're still far from God. There may be people right here in this room today who are far from God. And that's why we are called to continue day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, to be the church, to proclaim and live out the love of God through Jesus Christ. That all might come to know Him and make Him known. John... Writes that not everybody accepts it. Verse ten. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. If you're taking notes, we we see these essential truths in the in our incarnation. First, the whole world came into being through Jesus. In the beginning was the word and the word what was with God and the word was God Jesus ever since the very beginning the whole world came into being through Jesus and second Jesus freely chose to enter our world he was in the world he chose it and third the world did not know him he came to that which was his own they didn't know him and fourth Jesus' own people did not receive him or accept him. We see that in verses 10 and 11. For whatever reason, there are people who, who either don't understand or choose not to accept what he has done for us. And our ministry, our mission, is to communicate that good news to people and help them to understand the significance of what it meant for God in heaven to come in the form of a baby and to live and die for our sins and to be raised from the dead and to birth his church. It's hard for adults to understand sometimes, could you imagine how difficult it is for children? Well, our kids here at Huguenot Road have been going through a study on Sunday mornings Uh, focusing on some of the deeper truths of the Christian faith, and I'm really proud of them. Amanda has done a wonderful job helping to equip our teachers to train our kids, and I got an email from our third and fourth grade Sunday school teachers, and they asked me if I would come and answer some of the kids' questions, and I said, I'm happy to, happy to do that, so several weeks ago, during Sunday school, I went up to their class and one of the questions that they were struggling with was, how could God be in heaven and in Jesus at the same time? And I listened to them, and we talked and shared some scripture. And I'm telling you, y'all um, doing a fabulous job leading our kids. So proud of them. And um, I got to a point to try to answer that question, and I remembered a story that I read first in a book by Max Locato. And you may have also heard the story told by Paul Harvey. I grew up listening to Paul Harvey. My dad loved Paul Harvey, where he would say, and that's the rest of the story. Well, the story goes like this. One day, there was a family who lived out on a farm, and it was Christmas Eve, and the wife and family were going to Christmas Eve services at their church. It was the late evening service. And the father said, I'm going to stay here on the farm. I'm not going to church. I don't want to be around all those hypocrites. So his wife and family left home and journeyed to the church, and he went and sat beside the fireplace and would wait for them to return. Not long after his family left, it really started to snow bad. A significant winter storm rolls in. And then he started to hear these thuds on the dining room window, sort of like the sound of snowballs that are being thrown at the glass. He gets up and he goes to see what's going on. And it's not snowballs being thrown at the glass window, but rather it's a group of birds who are shivering cold, flying to the light that is shining out of the window, trying to get in. He tries to shoo them away from the glass to no avail, and he's really concerned because the birds were getting injured. So he put on his galoshes and his coat and bundled up and went out to see if he could shoo them away from the window so that they wouldn't be hurt and they wouldn't budge. They kept flying into the glass. So then he thought of the barn where they kept the pony, and he went over to the barn, and opened both of the doors, turned on the light, and then went over to the birds to shoo them toward the barn. And that didn't work either. Finally, he thought, well, maybe if I get some food and scatter it along the snow that they'll go into the barn. So he goes in the house, and he gets some breadcrumbs, goes back outside, and he makes a trail of breadcrumbs from the wor- where the birds were over to the barn. They didn't buy that either. Finally, he had a revelation. He said, if I could just become a bird, I could tell them to go in the barn. I could lead them to a safe place. If I could only become a bird and fly like a bird, and talk like a bird, they would be okay. And this little story helped him to understand the truth of the love of God through Jesus Christ that his wife had been telling him all along, and he sunk to his knees in the snow and acknowledged his God. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. God in the flesh. Let's pray together.